Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 176 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Saturday afternoon, December 7th, 2019. Last week, things were looking grim for Duke. They had lost a game to Stephen F. Austin at home. Cassius Stanley was going to be out potentially until sometime in January. And I think the entire script has changed in just a week. So it's amazing, are, isn't it? <laughs> we are. We it are is in stunning a, how that happened. We are in a totally, we are in a totally different mood than we were last week. So we will get to Duke's two huge wins on the road this week at both Michigan State and Virginia Tech. Before we do, let's introduce everybody on the call. As always, I am your host for this episode, Sam Klein, coming to you as I often do from Durham, North Carolina. It is finals week this upcoming week at Duke for the undergrads and for the graduate students. In Atlanta, we have Jason Evans. Jason, hello. Hey, how's it going, Sam? It is very weird to me that it is December because, uh, not that I believe in global warming or anything, but global warming would seem to have made Atlanta unusually hot for December. It's like in the mid-60s today. It could touch 70 next week. Uh, it's 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 just crazy. It, it doesn't feel like it's supposed to be winter yet. Well, uh, perhaps it never will be again. Donald Wine is not at home in Washington. Donald, what what fun destination have you traveled Donald's to this cold. weekend? I bet I am, cold. I, I am in Buffalo, New York. I am outside <laughs> the Key Bank Center, which is the home of the Buffalo Sabres. It is not in the mid-60s here. It is way, way colder than that. <laughs> <laughs> but it is fun out here. I'm having a good time hanging with some friends for the weekend. But guys, what a difference a week makes in the game of basketball. It's wow. it's night and day. It's night and day. As we said last week, we were we were bemoaning all the things that were wrong with Duke. We were wondering how they were going to recover from not just losing one of their best players, but also from the big loss to turn around for two tough games. One against a Michigan State team that, although it has not been at its best this season, was preseason number one, brought back a ton of talent from their Final Four team from a year ago, and a and Virginia the Tech team. The game and the game and the game was I mean, in East Lansing, wow. one of the toughest places in in front of the Izone. And then at the end of the week, Duke was going to Virginia Tech, a place that they haven't won a game in a few years against a fan base that is notoriously rowdy and loves to get up for that opponent in particular. And Duke ended up running away from both opponents on the road, double digit wins in both of them. Let's start though chronologically. We'll go to the Michigan State game. So. On Tuesday night, uh, this was this game should have been one of the highlights of the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Both teams, both Duke and Michigan State, had suffered some some tough losses that sort of brought down the the ranking of this game, probably on the on the overall marquee. But uh, a big win for Duke, Donald. I'll start with you. Uh, tell us about Duke's win at the Breslin Center on Tuesday night. So after the game on Tuesday night, I think we were chatting on our normal chat and. Jason, I believe you said this, and I agree with you. Uh, this might be one of the best victories by any team in college basketball so far this year. Going up to the Breslin Center and literally destroying uh, Michigan State at, on the road in front of the zone, like you guys said, is nothing short of extraordinary. It was a place we hadn't been since 2003. It was, you know, all the chips were against us. It was, like, I, like you said, it was one of those games that we were entering with kind of a bad feeling we, we wanted to see some tenacity we wanted to see some intensity and we got all of that and then some i think michigan state wasn't ready for it. it it was one of those things where duke came in 
they strapped up and literally punched Michigan State in the mouth and took their lunch money. And Michigan State just sat there and, and let them have it. And I, I think kudos to the, the staff and, and to the players for really just getting really regrouping and saying, hey, we had a bad week, put it behind us, next play, as we've always said over the years in Duke basketball, and really going out and playing a really, you know, I would say complete game of basketball. It started on the defensive end. I think Trey Jones, you know, with the steals, all the blocks that we had, I, you know, I think we were at 11 at one point. I don't know what we ended at. I, I don't have my stats in front of me. But it was one of those games where every, in the second half especially, and even in the first half a little bit, every single possession was ours. Every single 50-50 ball is ours. Every single possession we said, we're taking the ball from you and we're going to stuff it down your throat. And it was a very far cry from the week before when we were talking about how other teams were doing that to us. So uh, I really credit the the entire staff, the entire program for turning it around and especially in, in one of the most hostile places in America to play, to go out and get a victory like that was incredible and really, I think, gave a boost for the rest of the week. The, I, I think you you touched on the the defense being the the key here for Duke. The defense looks really impressive, particularly with Stanley out. Um, Michigan State is a team that has a lot of different weapons, and Duke was really able to um, was really able to neutralize them, especially early in the game. Like you said, it was a it was a blitz right from the opening tip, and Duke was up by double digits in halftime, and and kept Michigan State at arm's length all the way through the second half, and the and the crowd never really got to bring them back. Jason, what did you see in uh, in the game on Tuesday night? So I got a few different themes, a few different things that stuck out to me that I want to talk about. I'm glad Donald mentioned the blocked shots. Donald, you're correct. 11 was the number. We blocked 11 shots. A stunning number of those blocks were right at the rim. I'm talking about shots that were 80% at least to go in. And rather than um, going in, uh, we turned those quite often into fast breaks going the other direction. Um, the, the, the first thing I want to talk about on, on offense for Duke, though, uh, is Vernon Carey. Everyone Monster. nowadays wants to, yeah, Monster. everyone <laughs> wants to shoot threes. Everybody, even the big men nowadays want to shoot threes. No one really plays the way Vernon plays anymore. And one result of that, I think, is that teams aren't very good at defending a player like Vernon Carey. Uh, he gets the ball deep in the post. He has a variety of different moves. He can go right or left. He's able to use his weight and his positioning to get you in a, in a place where you can't stop him. He was tremendously effective against uh, against Michigan State, and they ran into a little bit of foul trouble on their front line. When they had to go to non-top-tier defenders, it was like a man playing with kids. And, and uh, you know, I, every so often they'd cut over to Tom Izzo on the sidelines and you could see he was like uh, he was shrugging his shoulders. He's like, I don't. There's nothing I can do to stop this guy. We don't have anybody who can stop him. Um, uh, the and other just, big man and and yeah, just go. Jason just in 25 minutes was was Vernon Carey yeah. that effective. You know, you we we've talked about the fact that Vernon Carey says that he has such a great relationship with Jolly Logafor and is taking all kinds of cues from him. You can see it in the progression of his offensive game that he is pretty comfortable getting the ball, like you said, in a lot of different advantageous positions and and making really quick choices with it he doesn't have to take the the mason Plumley dribble of of questioning before he goes up with the ball or or spins over different shoulders 26 points and 11 rebounds in 25 minutes is a crazy line donald i want to praise you because the minutes that vernon carey wasn't playing in the post those minutes were occupied by javin delorier 
who in 19 minutes gets 10 points and six rebounds, um, five of five from the field. You had called it, Donald. You said coming into this game, we need the active Jabin. We need the Jabin who, who's getting all the buckets and getting all the rebounds when he's in the game. And I was like, he's not going to play enough to, have it, to make a difference. I was wrong, and Donald was right. Donald, talk about Jabin Deloria's big game. Well, he was the, he was a backbreaker for Michigan State. I, I, I I'm yep. glad you brought it up because not to necessarily say that I was right. I'm I'm glad that I was right because it meant that Javin Delorier, like I said, if Javin Delorier has a good week, it meant Duke had a good week, and we obviously had a great week because of the fact that when he came in to spell Vernon Carey, there was no let up. Like he was leading the break. He, you know, there was the, there's one play in the second half that I thought was very poignant, and it was. Uh, off of a block shot, he grabs the ball, gives it to, uh, to Trey Jones. Trey Jones runs the floor, and Javon Delorey is kind of not necessarily lagging behind, but he's just kind of jogging behind his kind of the trailer. And Trey looks back at him with the ball and says, motions for him to go forward. So Javon just sprints straight to the block, throw, and Trey Jones throws him an alley-oop, and he dunks it. And it was just one of those plays that signified what they – you know what they were able to do against Michigan State. Michigan State had no one answer. of my favorite plays. I love yeah, that it was, play. It was such a great play because like, Trey's in such he, command. That is he Trey was in, command. in complete command. And also, just Javin was just like, "Hey, all you, if, if I just hustle to the block, no one's gonna beat me." And if he's doing that, and then you know the, the guys that were in for Michigan State, they were like, "Okay, now Javin's out. Oh wait, Vernon Carey's back in." And there's just no let up in that position so I, I thought both of those guys did very well to complement each other and like I said they both had good days that's why it was such a blowout you know at a certain point in the second half so uh, the great thing about that play of course was Trey Jones being in command and I want to talk a little tiny bit more about that uh, I you know a week ago <laughs> this this podcast is the podcast about Jason admitting when he was wrong and a week ago I said <laughs> this is why I don't make this is why I don't make bold proclamations because then yeah, there you go wrong. right uh I yeah just, i just make pithy observations and then and and if they're wrong then then that's fine right yeah but i go out on the limb so last week i kind of went out on the limb and i said when we're, I, I asked you guys what are you concerned about what what do you you know what are you worried about for duke and i said i'm worried about trey jones he's not the usual trey jones and lo and behold all it takes is a couple days and trey's back to being the the original the trey we know and love he had a couple absurd layups in traffic where that were just so creative i mean that's what he's so good at and he, like I was saying earlier, just in control at all times, 12 assists. Uh, I believe tied a career high for him, a huge number. Look, he still had six turnovers, and that's Jason, kind of troublesome. Yeah, yeah. We have West. to talk about the very first breakaway that he had off the steal. Oh, I'm getting to it. This is what's coming Please next. Please do. Go ahead. Foster, Go ahead. Lead so into I was going to say, he also turned a, a little-known Michigan State player named Foster Lawyer into a meme. Because He's retirement. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because because Foster Lawyer is now a surfboard. <laughs> he Dude, falls no. at Trey's feet. <laughs> Trey lands on top of him, and the fouls on Lawyer. It's just the greatest play. It's hysterical. Look, that's the, the that's the um, that's that meme with Shaq where he I, I and I don't remember who he's playing, but there's that one meme of Shaq when he's on the Lakers where he does the he has like a turnaround layup and in the process of, of putting the ball in also shoves his defender to the ground. Oh, that's uh, the dunk on Chris Dudley. And then Dudley yeah, like, right. throws the ball at him. Yeah. 
That's yeah, right. and he just pushes him out of the frame. And he just no, pushes just... him down to the ground because because that's just the way that his, his momentum is going and everyone is going in the same direction. But the offensive player is never going to get called for a foul there because because he's still upright and is and is still sort of moving in the correct direction towards the basket. That's what happened there, to Trey uh, Jones here, although on a much smaller scale. So Ben Swain on Twitter had a had a freeze frame of uh, Trey Jones going up for the layup and uh, the dude on the ground on his knees with one hand in the air. And it looked like he was begging for mercy. It looks like he's praying. Like, See, I, he's I like, saw please, that. It looks like he don't do this to me. And Trey did it anyway. I think it looks like he's praying to Trey, like he's bowing at the altar of Trey Jones. <laughs> well, no, it was a, no, it was definitely really like, have a choice. Have yeah, he didn't really like, have a choice, have right? He slipped. He slipped because Trey had had gone behind the back on him and, and had yeah, crossed, crossed him up. up. Yeah, and yeah, and so the Michigan State defender had just fallen on. He had gotten his ankles broken, metaphorically, I suppose, and and really just had no choice because his his momentum was also taking him down the court that way. So he was sliding on the ground while Trey was going over the top. I know that was an awesome, awesome play, and and that set the tone because that was. I mean, it was six five at that point, and he makes that. He makes the and one. The bench, the you know, Michigan State's bench is livid. The Duke bench is just going absolutely nuts because he made a dude literally fall and beg for mercy uh, in in his own gym. Like that was the tone setter, I thought. And I think after that, like Trey was like, "This is my night. No one's gonna stop me." It was pretty savage. Yeah, and and so the other thing I wanted to mention just really quickly. Uh, we got to talk about the bench play, and and this, I guess, this sort of naturally segues into Virginia Tech because Virginia Tech was sort of the ultimate bench play game. But I really thought there were so many different guys that contributed for Duke in this game, and this is becoming the theme and the identity of this team. But I, I wanted to, I wanted to mention and point out, you know, Wendell Moore starts and picks up two fouls in the first five minutes. Cassius Stanley is is hurt and unable to play, and he's going to be out until at least January, right? <laughs> nope <laughs> so J- J- joey baker comes in he picks up a couple of quick fouls um at, with about five minutes left in the half jack white and wendell moore both had three fouls um and you'd think we were getting in foul trouble like michigan state was getting in foul trouble and they were going to guys who we already discussed couldn't stop vernon Carey, couldn't stop trey jones couldn't do anything we, our guys get in the foul trouble and we have guys like like goldwire um and alex o'connell uh, and and Javin, we already talked about Javin. Matthew Hurt had another nice game. Who who just all come in and contribute, and they're part of what's happening with this team. Uh, our depth and our flexibility. I mean, uh, uh, again, naturally, this goes into the Virginia Tech game. I don't think I've ever seen. I'm serious, ever. And I've been watching Duke for thirty plus years. I don't think I've ever seen a Duke team that had this much flexibility, this many different parts that it seemed like Coach K could put in and push a button, and usually the button seems to work. So I think that's a great way to transition over, as you said, to the Virginia Tech game, where Duke had 10 players, ten all, all 10 scholarship guys got real minutes. Cassius Stanley got the fewest with seven coming off the bench in his in his return game, but Everyone else played a played a significant role. So yeah, Jason, I will send it right back to you. Tell us a little bit more about Duke's seventy seven sixty three victory over Virginia Tech in Castle Coliseum, where it was kind of a back and forth game leading into the first at the end of the first half. Virginia Tech had been up by a good amount early. They, I think they got as as much of a as a twelve point lead before Duke came crawling back. It was a tight game at halftime, and then Duke was able to to really pull away in the second half on the back of some unlikely contributors. What did you see in that game? 
So the shocking thing in this game, of course, like you mentioned, is the bench play. But let me start off with this. Jordan Goldwire played 30 minutes. I don't even know how to respond and talk about that because it's so surprising. Not, I mean, look, we've seen um, Jay Gold have have big games um, in key moments for Duke, but but to play 30 minutes and what 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 it really was indicative of was uh, Coach K decided rather than rather than letting look, we said in the preview, Virginia Tech is a team that loves to shoot three pointers. This is a team that lives on the perimeter. And Coach K decided that rather than sort of trying to see if Vernon Carey could follow them around the perimeter, rather than trying to see if Javin Delorier could mark them on the perimeter, he went, nah, I'm not going to bother. And as a result, he plays one of our best perimeter defenders, Jordan Goldwire, for 30 minutes in this game. We utterly frustrated a excellent, excellent three-point shooting Virginia Tech team into shooting really poorly from the perimeter. And they didn't even take that many. They were five of 20 on threes. And I'm telling you, this is a Virginia Tech team that usually likes to be hoisting close to 33 pointers. And they certainly expect to make more than five of them. This is a team in Virginia Tech that usually makes double-digit three-pointers. Only five against Duke. And that's because Kay employed a really smart defense where he put five guys on the mo- for the most of this game we had five guys on the floor who were all capable of switching any screen or, you know, any problem that happened. And it didn't matter who got switched on to who. We still had a capable defender in, in place. Uh, and, and it utterly frustrated Virginia Tech. Look, look they, they scored 63 points in this game. It is really hard to beat a team like Duke. I mean, unless you're going to play at, at Virginia's pace. It's hard to, to win a game when you only score 63 points. So I thought the story of this game was Duke's versatility um, and Coach K's willingness. We've talked about it all along, his willingness to, to push a lot of different buttons. Uh, again, Jordan Goldwire, second most minutes in the team, 30 minutes. Vernon Carey only plays 15 minutes. Look, I think that's points. the one that, that that's the one that I wanted to, to push on was Vernon Carey playing 15 minutes three nights after playing such a monster game against Michigan State where Coach K probably feels after that game, all right, Vernon Carey is the is the focal point of this team on offense. Trey Jones has the ball in his hands more, but Vernon Carey is the most dangerous player. And recognizing basically from the beginning of the game that Vernon Carey is not going to be super effective against Virginia Tech early in the game. Tech got a bunch of layups that the, the traditional Duke defense was just not yeah. able to defend. Coach K switches the lineup up. Carey only plays, as you said, Carey only plays 15 minutes in this game, but is is sort of a is more effective in that limited time because it allows guys like Jack White and Joey Baker who don't normally get as many minutes they played more the the, the five guys that played the most minutes in this game Trey Jones Jordan Goldwire Wendell Moore Jack White Joey Baker that's the defense that was containing Virginia Tech's vaunted three point shooting that's what held them to 25% from 3 is that we were able to put guys in the game who were able to focus on that Joey Baker having having one of his best games of the season because he was able to be such a pest on defense against Virginia Tech. And as you said, Jason, Coach K showing that he doesn't mind being versatile with this team in a way that I don't think we've really seen before because we haven't had a team with so many players, not just who are capable of playing, but that kind of bring different skills to the table. Vernon Carey is probably still one of the two or three best freshmen in the whole country, but in this particular game, he's not effective and Coach K doesn't mind sitting him on the bench for over half the game, right? Yeah, well, and really quick, and then I'll let Donald get in, but uh, you mentioned Joey Baker. Um, 
who would have thought that Joey Baker is going to play 20 minutes, be a key player on defense? Because he did nothing on offense. He's 0 for 4 from the field. And he has been our spark plug off the bench. He's been our instant offense off the bench. Um, instead, I, I, I also want to highlight, I, I thought Alex O'Connell, especially in the second half, late in the second half, Alex O'Connell was the man, um, you know, had two clutch important baskets that kept Virginia Tech at bay and really to some extent sealed this game and 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 made it so that you knew Virginia Tech was not going to be able to come back it's such a great team effort and and look I've been saying it all season long coach K continues to sort of hey let's see which guy is having the big game today and that's the one he goes with and I've reached the point now where I can't predict anything about Who's going to you know, play big minutes and who's going to have a big game? Wendell Moore, who'd struggled for several games in a row, got moved out of the starting lineup. He'd been a starter, even though he was struggling. Gets moved out of the starting lineup. Has one of his best games at Duke, 12 points. He's, our, he's tied for the second-leading scorer on the team. Plays 27 minutes, third-most minutes on the team. Um, you know, Playing great defense all over the place and finishing really well in traffic and stuff. I, I can't predict who's going to be good. All I can predict is it feels like someone is going to be good every single game. Donald, what did you have on the Virginia Tech game, if anything at all? One thing that I was looking at when it comes to this game, I, I didn't get to see the game because I was up in Buffalo and they don't carry the ACC network. Uh, but I was following on Twitter. And, ACC you network. Know, you guys Donald, do. Donald, that's AC ACC network extra. Extra. Excuse me. Well, there was there was no extra. There wasn't even the, the regular was, part. So there was no there extra was, of a regular. There was crappy. Extra, uh, nothing is still nothing. There was crappy like A10 <laughs> basketball or something on ESPN two, but Duke was streaming only or something last night. Just yeah, you know, pointing that out. So, but you know, one thing that I do, and I know you guys do the same, is I was texting with some of my Duke friends, and at halftime, you know, we were down, and people were like, "Hey, what's going on?" And everyone, you know, in the games last week, a lot of you know those times that we were going back, you could feel it. You could, you know, everybody that was in my text chains were like, "Hey." This doesn't feel good. We're not shooting well. We're not playing well. We're not playing defense well, whatever it was. At this game at halftime, people were saying, you know what? We're okay. We're not, we're not shooting the ball too well. We're not playing, you know, absurdly well. We're not playing terribly. It's one of those things where we're on the road and it's a tough game, but we still have a chance. And watching the lead just kind of surge in the second half, I, I think was more of a, you know, for me, you want to see a team go into the second half on, you know, on the road at a place that they hadn't won the last three times they've been there to say, we're not losing today. This is the day that our, our thing is broken. Our streak gets broken. You guys can do what you want, but this is our game. And I think in the second half, that's what I kind of took from, from looking at the game on Twitter and just kind of looking at the sense of people. And I think that is, you know, what this week was about going on the road, hostile environments, Two of, the, two of them in the country, you know, two of the big, best in the country when it comes to hostile environments. And walking out with wins, that is going to say a lot about the character of this team. And I think that when we're talking about this team going forward, you know, we can talk about the rotations. We can talk about who's going to have a good day, who's going to have an off day. But the fact that at any time anyone can step up, that makes us one of the most dangerous teams in the country. All right, Jason, I'll throw it to you to wrap us up on the Virginia Tech win. So there, there are two more really, really small things. I just want to point out, first of all, that this was a very exhausting week for players. For us to have two road games in the week before final exams is not easy. A lot of people think, oh, final exams, they just spend a lot of time studying. No, the week before final exams is when 
you know, you have end of semester projects, you have papers that are due, a lot of stuff like that that can take a lot of time. I, I read online that uh, a couple of the Duke players had to take tests remotely on Monday night while they were in Michigan. Um, also, just the way that teams travel nowadays, uh, Duke was on the road all day Monday. They did not arrive back in Durham supposedly until 4 a.m. on Tuesday. They traveled on Thursday to Virginia Tech for the Friday game because the, the game was early on Friday, 7 p.m., and you don't, wanna, you don't want your team to be jet-lagged or, uh, you know, it, 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 was a, it was a hectic week. For, for these guys and for them to get two road wins against quality teams is, is a really big deal. And then the other thing I wanted to mention just really quickly, and I, I, it's just I forgot to talk about it earlier. Um, so Virginia Tech, as, as we talked about, uh, you know, did not um, get as many shots from the outside as they usually do. And th what they ended up doing was they ended up driving to the rim. Um, uh, they, they kept on, you know, they were playing five guys out. And uh, mostly it was BB, their point guard, would would take someone to the basket. And they were getting a lot of shots at the rim. And I could see people being concerned about that. Look, I'm a little concerned about it. There are plenty of teams out there. They're going to look at this tape and say, okay, one of the ways to beat Duke is to try and do that. I think that Virginia Tech was somewhat unique in their ability to do that because they had zero post players. And with zero post players, it meant that Duke didn't have any help inside. You know, we were busy switching everything. We weren't playing big men for a lot of this game. Jack White was the biggest Duke player on the floor. And quite often, Wendell Moore was the second biggest player on the floor. I mean, think about that. And, and as a result, our shot blockers weren't in there. And I think against most teams, that kind of thing is not going to happen. Uh, but it was really interesting to me to see sort of that style that Virginia Tech employed. And and I love the way Coach K adjusted to it in the second half. Went Again, went to that lineup where we could switch and guys where it was harder to beat us off the dribble. Um, and we were so successful in that second half. And Virginia Tech just got got nothing once Coach K figured out how to, how to stop what they were trying to do. Jason, real quick before we wrap up, I think you were talking about like how we uh, had a rough week when it comes to travel and the schedule and the logistics of everything. That's where leadership stepped in. And I think this week we saw the leadership of guys like Trey Jones, you know, Jack White, Jeff Delorier, the seniors. Uh, that was really important this week to show the freshmen, hey, this is a road trip. We're going to do two road trips this week. We have a lot of stuff that we have to deal with in our personal lives and in our academic you know, schedule. Here's how we get this done. And I think, you know, that, you know, the underlyingness of all of this, you know, the, you know, the how successful we were this week was that we had great leadership in charge. You know, the staff was one thing about preparing the team for the road ahead, but uh, having leaders on the team like Trey Jones and, and not just leading the way off the, off the court, but also on the court, that is what made this week a successful week. This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you, as always, by the fine gentlemen of Bird Campbell, PA, with law offices in Florida and in Texas for all of your business legal needs. Contact Bird Campbell at B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. That's birdcampbell.com. Bird Campbell means business. We will wrap up the show. We're not going to do uh, in-depth previews of the upcoming games because Duke goes on exam break for the next week. So they're not actually going to be playing again for almost two weeks. And we'll do another episode before 
that before the team returns from the exam break to play Wofford. Hey, hey, should we should we tease what's going to be in that episode? I was going to say we also have a special interview coming up with a former Duke basketball player who recently got a new job in college basketball. So there you go. Good tease, have, Sam. Did you like that? Yeah, just enough <laughs> information who, that you can probably could that be. You could probably figure <laughs> actually, out who there, it is. They're they're actually they're they're there are some guys. Not, they're, they're not an insignificant number of candidates for that. Anyway, we're going to have what one, recently means. Coming up. yeah we'll we'll have we'll have one of those coming up for you very soon and and we'll be previewing some of those winter break games that are that are going to be happening after the exam break so wait for that for next weekend we'll just finish up this show this week it'll be a bit shorter but hopefully that's okay we'll do the player of the week and the parting shots as we normally do in season so i'll start with player of the week donald i'll come to you first Who's your player of the week for Duke's big week of wins against Michigan State and Virginia Tech? Duke was successful mostly because of its offense, uh, because of its defense. And the guy that led that, I thought, was Trey Jones. And Trey Jones was masterful. He was a leader on, on off the ball, on offense and on defense. And for that, he is my player of the week. All right. Jason, who you got? Uh, we're going to be two for two on Trey Jones. Um, I, I feel like I owe it to him a week after saying that I was somewhat concerned about his game. And then he and then he had a really, really excellent week. Donald talked about the defense. I, I mean, I'll talk a little bit about the offense. Uh, he gets 15 points to lead the team in scoring against Virginia Tech. Um, he gets 20 points against Michigan State. He's racking up all the assists. He's grabbing rebounds. Um, he's turning guys into into memes. Um, I thought Trey Jones, it, it's easy when when there's a guy who you know is the best player on the team to to sort of oh let's look for an unlikely candidate uh, let this week let's look for the most likely one Trey Jones is my player of the week i as you guys were talking i was thinking maybe i should go highlight somebody else because i had also pulled out Trey Jones both ends of the court as you mentioned filling up on offense getting a bunch of assists against Michigan State which was huge for for the team to sort of put them away early leading the defense especially against Virginia Tech when it was kind of dicey early and then and then locking it down, bringing the other perimeter guys along with him and showing, I think, showing that passion, showing that leadership. It was cool to see his mom and, and older brother Tyus at the game uh, on Tuesday night in East Lansing. So three for three this week. We'll give it to Trey Jones. I think that's going to, that'll be the theme, I assume, for a lot of games or weeks this year when the team just sort of is clicking. It's probably because Trey Jones has them has them going in the right direction. So it doesn't surprise me. In the- Let's move then to parting shots. Jason, I'll give it to you first. Give me your parting shot for this week. So like I said earlier in the podcast, this podcast theme to some extent is that Jason said something and then the opposite happens. <laughs> so a couple weeks ago, I came on this podcast and I just laid into the ACC for the terrible um, uh, scheduling of some ACC teams. I pointed out that the three weakest schedules in all of college basketball belong to ACC teams. Something like five or six ACC teams were in the bottom 10% of all schedule strength in the country. And I was disgusted at the conference. Well, nothing like a week of playing Big Ten teams in the ACC Big Ten Challenge um, and and playing each other, you know, as ACC teams uh, have a couple times to to begin to reverse that trend. The only the only ACC team that is currently in the bottom ten percent of all schedules in the country is Notre Dame. NC State is close, 
but uh, but they're um, but uh, really those are the only two teams that have abysmally, embarrassingly bad schedules. The rest of the conference, for the most part, looks like they have schedules that are you know, largely in the top 200 in the country. Louisville's isn't that great, and Louisville is ranked number one, but Louisville had a very impressive win this week. Um, so I just wanted to say to the ACC, maybe I judged you too quickly um, because the conference now has a number of teams that have among the 100 uh, toughest schedules in the land, um, including Miami, Florida State, North Carolina, Syracuse, and your Duke Blue Devils. So, so Jason, Jason, I mean, to be fair, when you said it, you were right. What this means is that the entire ACC must be listening to the Duke Basketball Report podcast. So that's and changing thing. their schedules in a week. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, that is absolutely what happened, and I'm glad you saw it, Donald. That's the kind of that's the kind of influence that we have here. That's that's the uh, that's the strength of our platform, Donald. Did you have any final words for for us when, before you head back to your uh, activities up there in Buffalo? No, I, I just want to say for those uh, fans out there that live in DC, I know. Uh, usually every year we do a uh, Duke DC night out at the Wizards game. And I learned last week that the Wizards game that we selected should be no surprise on April Fool's Day of all pl- of all days. We will be doing a night out against the Pelicans, uh, of course, because there's 97 guys on the Pelicans that went to Duke. So uh, I would say stay tuned for that. That will be a nice, nice night. Uh, and we're going to see how many guys we can get on the podcast on that night. Ooh, that'll be a that'll be a, a good challenge. So very cool. Maybe I'll maybe I'll come up for that. That sounds like a fun time. There you go. All right. We'll uh we'll we'll get to that when we get to it. I wanted to come back and highlight Jason had talked about the out of conference schedules for some of our ACC friends. I wanted to take a look at some of the results from those games because woof was it a not great week for the ACC Big Ten challenge for some of our favorite rivals. North Carolina lost at home. 74 to 49 to Ohio State, who looked really, really awesome. And Virginia's offense was a total mess. Uh, also at home against Purdue, a 69 to 40 loss. So uh, not so great for the top of the ACC. Louisville, I believe, was was able to to look pretty impressive against Michigan. So they did. They looked really good. They looked really good against Michigan. Um, and and by the way, the in that Carolina loss, uh, the the heels look like they've got. Uh, um, they, they've got a, a what's his name Armando Bacot Baker. I forget. I don't even forget. But he he got hurt, and they had nothing. I mean, nothing on the inside when he went down. They just looked utterly lost on the inside, which is really unusual for a Carolina team. UNC is now down to twenty third in Ken Palm. I, I it's been a long time since they've been out of the top twenty in Ken Palm. Yeah, it's it's not it's not looking great for North Carolina right now. Although, of course, they have plenty of time left to figure it out and and beat us in a couple months if they if they really get their act together who knows if that's going to happen Virginia I think is the more interesting one of those two because I think the last couple years Virginia has been able to it's not that their offense is bad I think we've talked about this before it's not that Virginia Tech's off or that Virginia's offense is bad it's just that they play slowly the offense the other night against Purdue was bad and and wasn't really able to score they lost a couple players to early entry to the NBA this year following their national championship that are probably the guys that Tony Bennett was going to rely on as as scorers this season and it doesn't appear like they have figured out what to do with those holes on offense so I think it'll be a little bit more interesting to see where Virginia goes from here they're still playing defense really well they're still keeping the pace slow they're still playing exactly as they want to but 
the the offense just hasn't gotten to where it can be effective, especially in those games where they're going to have fewer possessions and therefore fewer opportunities to score. Uh, look, you lose Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome, and DeAndre Hunter, and suddenly that okay that that whole strategy of let's wait till the shot clock is down to the final few seconds, and one of those guys will figure it out. It doesn't work. It just it, it, Virginia does not have anyone who's on the level of any one of those three guys in terms of creating a shot for himself with only a couple seconds left in the shot clock. And they are, yeah, their their offense is terrible. I mean, it is, you're talking 118th in Ken Palm. And someone pointed out something really interesting. I want to say it was on the bulletin boards that someone mentioned this, but it may have been someplace else about Virginia, that it is really hard to have an offense that bad, 118th in the country, while you have a defense that good, because they have the number one defense in the country, because this person pointed out defense, you know, if you've got a great defense, there are lots of missed shots. There are lots of turnovers. There are lots of situations where you're going to probably get the ball with a chance to run up court and get an easier basket. Um, so for Virginia to be 118th with the number one defense. Wow. I mean, what if they only had, I don't know, the fifth best defense in the country? How bad would their offense be? Because because they're getting some easy baskets as a result of their defense. If they weren't getting those easy baskets, wow, Virginia might have like one of the bottom 100 offenses in the country. You're not winning basketball games if you're going to score less than 50 points a game. It's just that's I don't care what kind of basketball you're playing, whether it be college, NBA or even high school. What if you're 50 points. Yeah, but, yeah, but Donald, what if you're Wisconsin? Care. I don't care who it is. Like you're just not a good basketball team if you're going to score less than 50 points a game. Now there may be times where you buck the trend and you may surprise some folks and kind of go against the numbers. But really, if you're scoring less than 50 points a game, you're not winning a lot of basketball games. You're just unless you have the best defense of all time, which Virginia has had at times during the last couple of years. But this year, and their and their defense not, is not going to happen. Their defense this year is still notably better, according to to the efficiency metrics, notably better than everyone else's. Like, by yes, multiple but is points, that, which is Does crazy. that mean that college basketball, is is it because college basketball is, the parity is more prevalent this year? Yeah, the, I think the, that might have to do is down, and that's helping Virginia's defense. I, I agree. Yeah. All right, well, we've, we've taken a look at some of the other ACC programs, and uh, like I said, we'll be back next week to review uh, Duke's upcoming games and also... Uh, present a special interview as I as I appropriately teased. I think I think Jason said that I that I did that okay. I've got the I've got the chops to be a real media guy now. So with that, um, I'll say for Donald Wine up in the in the cold north in Buffalo, and for Jason Evans down in Atlanta, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 176 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Don't forget to get in touch with us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We've had, we got a few more emails this week from folks. So that was, we had someone send us a photo. Someone sent us. Yeah. Oh yeah. We got a great photo of, uh, of a, of a Duke alum sent us a picture of his daughter who was, uh, who goes to Virginia tech and was at the game the other night wearing her Duke shirt. So that was pretty cool. And then I think I'm pretty sure I saw the same photo, uh, tweeted out by, by Duke basketball media. They, they posted some photos of, of Duke fans at the Virginia Tech games. That was pretty cool. Anyway, keep sending us anything you want at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to um, support our sponsors, Bird Campbell. We want to thank them, as always, for their support. Like and subscribe. Right. 
I think that's I think that's all the things for now. So for Donald, for Jason, I'm Sam. We will talk to you again soon. Duke Band, take us home. <laughs>